I do think it's important, actually, uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university. Uh, and it is important that we train and we understand. Uh, and I, I want to understand white rage. And I'm white. And I want to understand it. So. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Snell Nation. What you just heard is just a short soundbite uh, from our uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, General Milley, uh, when some questions came up about uh, about about the military, about critical race theory, um, about you know possibly integrating that within the curriculum of uh, military training. Um, there's been plenty of examples um, from different individuals anonymously reporting from different branches about. Uh, certain books on white fragility, things like that, um, that are being recommended or spotlight uh, spotlights being put on um, these particular books and different teachings. And uh, I spoke a little bit about this, um, or at least about his statement that he made. But um, I just wanted to just walk through everything that he said. It's a, it's a it's a fairly short clip. It's about a minute and forty two seconds. Um, but I think there are statements made in there that are uh, in incredibly important and say a lot, um, a lot more. I mean, a lot said in this minute and 42 seconds. And, you know, just right, right off, right off the bat, you know, you, you talk about this, you know, inclusion and you know, how important it is to be well read, all that good stuff. And I agree I agree with uh, General Miller there. It is important to be well read. Um, yes, it's important uh, when it comes to uh, the, this, the soldiers to, to ensure that they fully understand everything that's out there or maintain it in open mind. You know, I believe more in active mind, but yet, yes, in open mind. But then, just a few seconds in, then you mention white rage and you, you're white and you want to understand white rage. And that's where I believe that's where the train just jumps off the tracks because now you're you're in an elevated position of authority you're making a statement on to, to the world essentially uh, certainly to the to the entire nation and people can take from that exactly what what I guess reading between the lines you know you're talking about inclusion you're talking about diversity and of course as we've learned um, in recent years diversity now it, it tends to mean, you know, less white, less white male. You know, that, that seems to be the pattern. You know, you can you can paint it up however you want, but that that's what it tends to turn into, um, especially in the job market, um, especially in politics. So that's where, you, you know, you, you, you start to lose me. <laughs> so you, you make that statement. Uh, here's just a, just a little more, a little, just a little, little taste. What is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States. So what he's referring to, um, he's referring to the, the January the 6th, uh, quote-unquote, insurrection um, that, that's being played up and, and elevated into this grand thing like it was a coup or something when, you know, a lot of us saw the footage. Um, a lot of questionable things were going on at that time be it the, the security staff, um, the uh, Capitol Hill police, um, all that stuff.
the request that the then President Trump made for additional security to be on standby, to be in the area, that request was denied. You know, all, all those factors are being ignored, but it's being played up as this huge moment in American history when, and not really, there was a great deal of emotional manipulation. And I feel a lot of people were essentially uh, set up and they walked right in to a, uh, a true dumpster fire. And I don't know how many times I, I've stated this, but I mean, I, I don't, I've tried to discourage as many people as possible from even going to that thing because I knew exactly what it was going to turn into. It was a great opportunity for Congress to come up with their excuse to, to dust off all these ideas, you know, all these bills, different things they want to push through that always tends to lead, uh, lead us towards, you know, fewer freedoms, less liberty, and less wealth uh, for us commoners. <laughs> There's always something in there that involves money, more money coming from the taxpayers. So so here we are. We have General Milley making this, this statement, and this is immediately after talking about white rage, then you jump right into, you want to know exactly what, what happened on January the 6th that caused uh, people to try and uh, overthrow the government or overthrow the Constitution. You know, I don't know, I don't know how someone with so much experience, military experience, can make a statement like that when what we saw was essentially, it was a riot. A riot that could have easily been brought under control uh, if the security assets would have been approved, what the what the pres then President Trump asked for would have been approved and people would have been on standby and been right there, that it, it would have been over in, in, in an instant. Kind of like how a lot of the riots and things that happened in 2020 could have been ended immediately if the National Guard would have been properly utilized, if local law enforcement would have been properly utilized, if we didn't, if we didn't have mayors that were ordering their police to be on, on, a, uh, on a, a stand down or standby or to be on standby blocks away as businesses were being burned to the ground and people were being assaulted and murdered. You know, things wouldn't have escalated to that point. The same thing would happen on January the 6th. It never would have reached that point if the appropriate security that was requested would have been granted, would have been in place. But now that is the go-to for, you know, every conversation that, that deals with, and now since the quote-unquote insurrection, um, is being touted as also some white extremist, you know, white supremacy, you know, incident. So now whenever there's a conversation about race, anything, they always go back to that and they pick from that. And that's that's the big moment that they love to tout and say, hey, look, well, look, look, this is why we have to do this. This is why critical race theory is so important in the armed, armed forces you know, because we need to understand what happened, why all these crazy white racists decided to, you know, try and uh, t take over, take over the Capitol building, you know, and, it, and if this was some sort of insurrection, it's a pretty pathetic one. You know, not a whole lot of arms were involved, armed individuals or anything like that. Just a bunch of people with flags and, and crazy T-shirts and uh, some geniuses that decided to wear their little passes on, the, on their chest with their names on it. But hey, that's, you know, whatever. So there, there, there we have that. You know, hey, you know, I, we need to understand first white rage. Then you jump right into the January 6th incident trying to tie all these things together. So people, so that sticks in everyone's mind that 
that was an insurrection. That was a coup and it was racially motivated. Even though there were blacks, Asians and Hispanics also at that, that rally as well, or I'm sorry, or that, uh, that protest, I guess you can call it a protest that turned into a riot. Um, but I also love their, this focus on a riot, one, one riot that happened on January 6th, and then ignoring the 275 plus riots that happened last year. None of those matter. None of those, none of those count, even though it caused billions of dollars in property damage, you know, and, and dozens of lives were lost. But no, the, the, what happened on January the 6th is the most significant moment in American history. I mean, is anyone still, is anyone still buying this? Like, that, that's ridiculous. And the fact that someone who has so much experience, someone who's highly educated, you know, tons of life experience would make a statement like that. I mean, it, it's intellectually dishonest. You know, best case scenario, intellectually dishonest. So here, here's a little more. maintain an open mind here and i do want to analyze it it's important that we understand that because our soldiers sailors airmen marines and guardians they come from the american people so it is important that the leaders now and in the future do understand it i've read mao Zedong. i've read i've read karl marx i've read lenin that doesn't make me a communist so well that's true that you've read you've read those books uh yes you know i've read some of those things as well and yes that that doesn't make you a communist but those weren't uh, those weren't required selections, you know. That you weren't pushed to read those things. It wasn't a part of your curriculum in order for you to finish war college or finish whatever it was you were attending or whatever uh, military uh, military schooling or training that you were completing. But what this what people are afraid of is that it may turn into that required reading where someone who is a a captain and looking for the next step or someone who is a uh, warrant officer three and they're looking for that next step or a uh, master sergeant or a first sergeant looking they're looking for that next step and they're looking at the curriculum for the school they need in order to get that next rank and there's something in there where they have to write a paper they have to read the book white fragility and then they have to write a, a, a some sort of a synopsis or, or dissertation or whatever based on that and then they're put in a situation where they have to take their principles and put it on the shelf somewhere and focus on their career and put their career first and their family first, it, it, it twists a lot of arms. Whereas right now, a lot of the different curriculums are fairly open. And last time I checked, there's not a ton of uh, racially charged, racially focused doctrine. Racially charged, racially focused, uh, textbooks or, or any of that it's integrated within the military because well we are from the community as you said we are from from the people but we are a melting pot we're meant to be the example that everyone should look to and see like oh look how integrated they are and how united they are that's what the civilian population should be seen from us along with just how effective we are and looking out for their interests and protecting their individual rights. But that's something else I'll talk about later in yeah, a different podcast. But that that's the point. We come from the people, you know, but we're supposed to be the shining light, the, the, the example of what a united front looks like, a united community. 
So pushing critical race theory, which, and critical race theory, all it, you just translate it into white man bad. Just, just translate it to that. Because when you look at the way it was constructed, if you go back to when, when it was founded or when it first started to, to gain its momentum um, in the 80s and it just sort of dropped off and then it popped back up, it's, it's all about this, this anti-white, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. So even giving it that title, yeah, that, that's cute that you want to hide it and, and call it that. Oh, critical race theory. Oh, so that includes, you know, all races, right? Because we're all, we're all critical, right? We're all human beings. We're all united. Yeah, one team together. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> it's very focused. It's very divisive. And it's the last thing that we need. And what I would love to see, I'm not sure if it'll happen, but I would love to see an actual... Um, a survey done that's focused on this to actually get feedback from all the soldiers that are going to be impacted by this. I mean, we do it for a lot of other things. Why not do it for this? Instead of your, your typical uh, bureaucrats and, and, and pseudo-politicians that, you know, so many of them are just looking out for their careers and that, that's their focus. You know, don't want to miss that opportunity. You know, hey, well, once I retire, I might want to go into politics. So let me not burn any bridges, you know. And even though I may be exposing individuals that I'm supposed to look out for to something that's potentially dangerous or something that could cause more division and weaken the force. So the soldiers, all of us little guys, we should be a part of this process. We should be consulted. And, then, and I hope... I have yet to see anything about it, but I hope that there's this is being taken in consideration and there's some sort of service being constructed. Um, of course, it it'd probably have to be uh, anonymous just to ensure that, you know, there's no reprisals or threat of reprisals based on the feedback that people give. Of course, um, one great thing about being black is something like this. I don't have to hide or worry about a lot of different things. I have a little bit more leeway. Now, I'm not indestructible, not completely bulletproof, but when it comes to something like this, like critical race theory, I can be 100% honest, and I'm more than happy to take the stones that people like to throw, or the uh, the terms that people like to throw out there. You can call me uh, internalized racist, you can call me race traitor, you can call me coon all day long. I know that where I'm coming from is based on my personal experience, the quote-unquote black experience, um, and the information I've taken in from quality sources. So yeah, you can throw all that stuff at me. So here, here's here's a little bit more. Let's see what else is got. Wrong with understanding, having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend. And I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. That was started at Harvard Law School years ago and it proposed that there were laws in the United States anti-bellum laws prior to the Civil War that led to uh, a power differential with Africa. You know, yeah, that, that's, 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 a, that's an interesting turn. That's, that's a, solid, um, a solid deflection, but um, I'm not seeing a lot of focus on things like, you know, the history of Black Lives Matter and how little they've done for the black community. 
there's plenty of articles and books and information available on that. Are you going to integrate that? You know, how about Antifa, the history of that, and even political officials that that have uh, stated that they are connected to it and that they support Antifa. And why is it that we we're not, we we we're not the conversation about Antifa? It, it's unbelievable just how how quiet that is. Even though we witnessed what a hundred days of madness in Portland, with people dressed in all black, talking about how they're they're anti-fascists as they beat people up that disagree with them and set things on fire because they don't like it. I mean, it, it's phenomenal. And and the few that were arrested, how they're starting to discover that so many of them are career criminals and rapists and pedophiles and all that stuff. And here we are, another pattern that, you know, no big deal. But let's just keep going on and on talking about slavery, talking about critical race theory. You know, this this fixation and this race obsession that goes one way. Meanwhile, we have, there are actual slaves in multiple countries in Africa, no one cares. There's actual concentration camps in China the Uyghurs are being persecuted on a daily basis and, and thrown into re-education camps. But we're still fine with the NBA signing these multi-billion dollar, uh, multi-billion dollar contracts with different companies that operate out of that region. But we keep playing this, we keep playing this game. And, and, I, and I get so tired as, as a black man, here we go, I'll, I'll play the race card. As a black man, I am so tired sick and tired of being this linchpin to every nonsensical idea that some politician wants to throw out there, especially, you know, let me keep making it a race thing. You'll have, you know, a lot of white politicians that anytime they want to get something through, especially on the left, you know, it'll, they'll somehow, they'll tie it to, to black folks. Somehow. I remember when the whole voter ID thing was out and that was controversial, which makes no sense. It's incredibly easy to get an ID. And in the state in question in Georgia, there are ways you can get it for free if you're poor. But they still were saying, no, that, that's racist and that's Jim Crow 2.0, this and that, you know. It's like, no, it sounds like you just want to make it easier for the system to just be just ripe with corruption. I mean, you don't need to show you. You have to show your ID to um, uh, to, to to get to well to drive. You need you need you need a license for that, and you should need one to vote. You need one to to purchase a weapon. You need one to drink, to buy cigarettes, all this stuff. But no, 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 you shouldn't need it to vote. And if you do talk about it and, and, and you're for that, then you're racist. Just like that, you're 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 pro Jim Crow. Of course, coming from the party that was literally pro slavery, pro Jim Crow, um, pro segregation, and all that good stuff. So. It's absolutely fascinating, but let's let's see. Let's see General Milley bring it home. Americans that were three quarters of a human being when this country was formed, and then we had a civil war and emancipation proclamation to change it, and we brought it up to the Civil Rights Act in 1964. It took another hundred years to change that. So look at I do want to know, and I respect your service, and you and I are both Green Beret. Okay, so here we are once again, where. Slavery, slavery, slavery. Jim Crow, Jim Crow, Jim Crow. And I love how some people will talk about, um, they'll talk about the beauty of the Constitution, but then in the same breath, they'll they'll try to bring something up from the past. Oh, well, when it was, you know, when this country was founded, it said that, you know, black people were three-fifths a man and yada, yada, yada. You know, it's like, give me a break. 
give me a break. Seriously, there, there's this this fixation on a set period in time. We can go just all day long about slavery, all day long, but we won't really focus on the hundred years after the Emancipation Proclamation and all the gains made by blacks during that time, specifically 1940 to 1960. And I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I mean, just there were so many gains with black businesses opening up, with black home ownership jumping like 20% at that time. Uh, black unemployment was creepily just, just dropping, getting closer and closer to being exactly the same as white unemployment. The poverty rate was almost cut in half. I think it went from 87% to 44% during that time. And you want to know what happened after, after the Civil Rights Act, after the Fair uh, Housing Rights Act, after the Voting Rights Act? Once you creeped into the 70s, there was a plateau, and then a lot of those gains, black gains, were lost. So if they really wanted to analyze it, they would make that comparison. What was worse, the legacy of slavery or the legacy of liberalism? And I have to say the numbers, the numbers kind of kind of point towards liberalism being more dangerous. <laughs> but we, we can't talk about those things. We just get so focused on just, just one set period of time that it's, it's absolutely insulting. And the fact that more... Uh, more minorities don't speak up and say, hey, but wait a minute, can you stop using me? Can you stop using my people? Can you just give us a break from being these ignorant, lazy, uh, just bummish, uh, good for nothing, just we were no, nobody's just lingering around that constantly need the help of the government. At least that's, you, that's what someone would think that was on the outside looking in based off of what a lot of these political officials and bureaucrats like to say. You would think all black people were toddlers, like two-year-olds that constantly need someone to hold their hand and look out for them because they're just too dumb and too broke to look out for themselves. When that's the history right there points to it that we're just as capable as any other race that had to deal with crap. We're not the only ones. We have we don't have a monopoly on misery. Every race both genders, we, everyone has their, their strife. Everyone had their thing that they had to overcome. Their challenges, their individual challenges. But we had these, a lot of these politicians and bureaucrats, these hate peddlers, uh, these race hustlers that are obviously out to just make money and, and look out for themselves and their friends. They're not, they don't genuinely care about the people they like to tout and hold out in front of them. It's just like how a lot of times you'll have... Uh, Children constantly being touted as, you know, well, for the children and we have to protect the children. And, and then during all the COVID stuff last year, grandma, you know, you're killing grandma because you won't wear a mask because you won't do this. You won't do what we say. And you keep asking questions. So obviously you're just some psychopathic murderer, you know, <laughs> but it's the same cycle. I, I feel like it, it's like clown world. It's like the Twilight Zone or something. The same, the same stuff keeps happening. The same statements keep being made. The same people keep doing the same things, exploiting the same groups in the same way, in the same cycle. And we just miss it. And, and then here we are in 2021. And I'm sure as we go into the next election cycle, once we get around uh, uh, late 2022, we're going to have more focus on 
you know, black criminals being shot by the police and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then ignoring all the other stuff, you know, all the other stuff that's, that's a way bigger issue. And we will forever be swimming in a sea of irrelevance. Not actually solving any real problems. Focus on, you know, uh, maybe some, I don't know, external issues, maybe little micro things here and there. But we won't even actually solve those. It'll just go through a cycle and it'll be brought up again in a couple of years. Meanwhile, the, the same people are raiding the treasury. The same people are hitting up the middle class and crippling us. The same people are just beating up our small businesses. Notice how there, you know, we had hundreds of thousands of small businesses gone forever in just one quarter in 2020. Nobody cares. Not I mean that. That's historical. No one cares. Not not even not worth talking about. You know, we just, no no one's talking about it. We just we just want to keep arguing about the same, just sad sad social issues. Over and over again, just constantly, and no real solutions to anything. No legitimate ones. Just these outlandish ones that guarantees that these same issues will come up again and again and again. Which is why you have things like oh reparations is a good one. Where people go on and on about reparations. What's what's the answer? Well, we need to take um, we need to take eleven trillion dollars and set it aside and pay it out to all the like really that that's your answer, and that's the that's the extent of your plan pretty much. That's less than a paragraph. That's not that's not a plan. That's just you guaranteeing that this issue will be perpetual and and just constantly being brought up from time and time again, so people can virtue signal and, and gain votes. Gain political influence. Make a little bit of money. It's the same old shenanigans. I'm sorry. It, it's it's sad and it's quite pathetic. And it it's at first it was interesting. It was at least fascinating. Because as a oh, I'm 39 now, you know, I didn't think I would see this type of this type of craziness in my lifetime. I knew it was possible, but I didn't think I'd get to witness it. But now I've got a front row seat. And I'm I'm all maxed out. This is you know, hey, can we can we actually start fixing something? Can you know, can 330 million people like pick up on the fact that you know we're all being burned by the same small circle of people, the same corporations, the same? I mean, I don't. We we have these wonderful smartphones. You know, we have all this technology where you know we we have tons of information at our fingertips, but yet we're getting dumber. We're getting we're getting less curious. We're asking fewer questions. It's it boggles the mind. And, you know, I always feel like I have to also throw in what what I'll get is I occasionally get the person who says, well, wait a minute, you're you know, you're, you're in the military. How can you make a statement like that? And I say, well, I'm in the military. Well, how can I not? I have I have the experience 19 years plus. I've interacted with a lot of soldiers. I've gone to a lot of different schools. You know, I think my I think my point of view is relevant, especially when you're talking about something that directly impacts soldiers from from top to bottom. And when you're talking about something like critical race theory, you should want my input. You should want the input of all soldiers. We're the ones that are going to be impacted by this. And of course, next, well, everyone else, because a lot of times when it comes to social changes, it tends to happen first in the military. And then it kind of branches out from there once it's deemed successful or whatever, whatever the metrics are for measuring it. So, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm sorry, I don't I don't care um, 
who you are if you're wrong. You know, I have an obligation as a good citizen, just like all true good citizens, to step forward and make a statement. If I feel that what you're doing could potentially endanger the, the minds and the lives of countless thousands of, of individual citizens and individual soldiers, I feel that it's imperative for people to stand up and say, hey, and you could do it tactfully, you can do it respectfully, and here you are. You outrank me, General, with all due respect. I believe this is a terrible idea, and I'm more than happy to explain why, if, if you're not sure, and, and if it's if you think I'm the only one who feel this way, feels this way, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. And I'm more than happy to administer a survey. We can take any sample size you like. We can do it by state. We can do it by region, uh, by county. We can do a sample size of 10,000 soldiers. However you want to do it. And with a lot of the uh, uh, with a lot of the different digital interfaces and things that we can use, it's easy to administer one of these surveys and get the input of those that are directly impacted by this, the input of the soldiers, not the bureaucrats, the soldiers that have to deal with this sort of thing and see what they think. And then base base uh, your your recommendations and your positions and, and some of the decisions you make should, should follow that. You know, if we really care about following the data and following the truth and all that kind of stuff that, that people like to say, well, hey, the proof's in the pudding. Let's Let's do just that. Um, because if we're not doing that, then we start to lean towards something that we can no longer consider a free society. And I'm just going to leave it there. But, hey, thanks for listening in. You know, please uh, provide me any feedback. I greatly appreciate it. I'm everywhere. Well, almost everywhere. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me. Uh, just, just Google Snell Nation. Uh, they, I'm not hard to find. All right, so enjoy the rest of your evening. Snell Nation out.